All right, if you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be looking over the next four Sundays uh, at the story of Ruth and Naomi. Uh, It's really an amazing section of the Bible. Uh, We're also uh, starting in the spring, uh, and when I say the spring, I mean January, uh, which is not technically spring, but that's how my brain works. Um, Starting in January, we're also going to look at the story of 1 Samuel. So Ruth leads us right into the story of King David. Uh, But it's a beautiful part of Scripture. I think it's a really helpful uh, book to think about and to meditate on as we are in this season of waiting and longing and hoping. So our passage this morning is Ruth chapter 1. This is God's word for us, his people, this morning. It says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband." Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her uh, two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. 
So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that in this season of waiting, you have given us your word. And Lord, we pray this morning that through your word and your spirit, you would teach us how to feel, you would teach us what to want, Lord, you would teach us how to live and how to think. Lord, shape us this morning. Make us more and more like Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Our story this morning unfolds in three scenes. Scene one takes place in Moab. And as our passage opens, we learn that this book takes place in the time of the Judges. Uh, And if you are familiar with your Bible and the story of the Old Testament, you know that the time of the Judges was the time between God's people being rescued out of Egypt and conquering the land, and before they had a king. And this was not a great time in the life of God's people. In fact, it was a time of spiritual rebellion and political anarchy. In fact, uh, the book of Judges tells us in chapter 21, verse 25, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what was going on in Israel at this time period. And what you see if you read through the book of Judges is you see this cycle that happens again and again and again where God's people rebel against him and then he afflicts them. He will send a nation to come and conquer them or he will send famine and he does that so that his people will repent. And when this affliction comes, they cry out and God remembers his promises to his people and he sends them a deliverer. And he delivers them from the nations that have conquered them or are oppressing them. Or he delivers them from the famine, what is happening to them. And then the people repent for a while. This cycle repeats over and over and over again. And so in verse 1, we see not only that this is the time of the judges, but we see that this is a time of affliction for God's people. There is a famine in the land, and that famine has even reached the town of Bethlehem. And if you speak Hebrew, you know that's significant because the word Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem was usually a fertile Place, a place where crops could grow and people rarely struggled with hunger. 
Uh, what we know about God and what we know from the Old Testament is that with his people Israel in the Old Testament, the land was meant to serve as kind of a barometer for how God's people were doing in their relationship to him. And so if God's people were being faithful, if God's people were walking in uprightness, if God's people were uh, atoning for their sins with the sacrificial system when they were sinning, then God blessed the land. There was abundance, there was fertility, there was rain, there was all kinds of good things. But when God's people rebelled, when God's people were wicked, when God's people were evil and unfaithful, then God would send upon them things like famines and plagues. And so knowing now that there is a famine happening in the land of Bethlehem, a faithful Israelite would know that that was an invitation to repentance. That was an invitation for them to turn away from wickedness and to encourage their neighbors to turn away from wickedness and to walk instead in uprightness to obey God's law. But as our story opens, we learn that one family from Bethlehem decided instead of doing that, that they would just go to Moab. They would just pull up roots and go somewhere else trying to get a little bit better situation in life. And Moab was not terribly far from Israel. It was on the other side of the Dead Sea, about 60 miles south of Bethlehem. And the way the geography works in Israel, there were mountain ranges. And so on one side of the mountain range, you might have famine, but on the other side, you could have uh, great crop production just because of the way the precipitation fell. Uh, so they are going to a place they think is going to have better agricultural prospects. But what they're really doing is seeking to escape the effects of their sin. They are seeking to escape the effects and the consequences of the sin that God's people have committed. One commentator, a man named Sinclair Ferguson, puts it this way. He said they were seeking to take the provision of God. Uh, they were seeking to take the provision that God promises apart from the repentance God requires. So they were seeking provision without having to go through the hard step of turning away from sin in repentance. They went to Moab, and then verse 2 tells us they remained there. But things did not go well. In fact, things go horribly. Verse 3 tells us that Elimelech dies. He is the husband and father of this family, leaving his wife Naomi a widow with two sons. Her two sons, verse 4 tells us, marry Moabite wives, one named Orpah and one named Ruth. And they live there in Moab for about 10 years. So what started as sort of a, a slow sojourn in Moab, maybe just escaping some uh, famine, turned into a longer-term prospect. They were there for 10 years. But verse 5 tells us, that her sons die as well. Both of her sons die. Naomi has nothing. Naomi has nothing. She is a childless widow and a foreigner in the land of Moab. 
In the ancient world, your children were your financial security. They were the ones who helped you uh, have the resources to live as you grew older. So Naomi is guaranteed to die in poverty. That is what verses 1 through 5 mean. In five verses, Naomi lost everything. Her hopes, her dreams, her expectations all shattered. Imagine the despair Naomi felt when her last son died. She has lost everything. And friends, to greater and lesser degrees, we all experience shattered expectations. We all experience this kind of brokenness in the world. Maybe you took a job thinking it was going to be a job that you really enjoyed and you thought it was going to give you significance and you were going to feel like you were doing something valuable only to find you're working for a petty tyrant of a boss who seems to expect you to sort of prop up his own ego. Or maybe you found the work just to be menial and insignificant. Or maybe it was just an abusive environment and you are frustrated because your expectations were not met. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you thought this relationship was going to be easy and wonderful and bring you life and joy and companionship and you found instead that your relationship, whether that's a friendship or a marriage or some other relationship, is difficult and hard. And that what you thought was going to be life-giving just feels draining and you're sad and you are tired. Or maybe you had great plans in life, only to have those plans derailed by chronic sickness or pain or an inability to do the things you thought you would. Or maybe your world has been upended by pain and death. Friends, we have shattered expectations. Every time we look in the mirror and say, is this really my life? We feel what Naomi was feeling here. Naomi and her family went to Moab for relief and everything got worse. Everything got worse. She left one problem and got far worse problems you ever felt that way? You ever felt like maybe your best attempts to fix your life or to find relief actually made things worse? Naomi is profoundly relatable to us in our experience of life in a world that has been scarred by sin and by death. That takes us to scene two. Scene two occurs between Moab and Bethlehem. See, verse six tells us that Naomi hears that God has given bread to Judah. She is, that God has given bread to the place where they had lived. Bethlehem is in Judah. And so she decides to return, probably thinking that she will have more support, a better chance at charity from her own people. And so Naomi decides to leave the place where she has lost so much. 
And in verse 7, she sets out with Ruth and with Orpah. But she turns to them about halfway through this journey, or maybe even a quarter of the way through the journey. She stops before they get to Bethlehem, turns to Ruth and Orpah, and tries to encourage them to leave her. There are no prospects for them, she says. She can't uh, have another husband, and even if she were to marry today and have a child, it would be you know, 18 to 20 years before that child would be ready to marry one of them. She's like, what are you doing? Why are you coming with me? You should return to your families. You should return to your gods. And in verse 14, Orpah takes her up on that offer. She returns and goes back to her family with the prospect of marrying again and having a family of her own. But Ruth, the passage tells us, clings to Naomi. Ruth hangs on to Naomi, and in verse 15, Naomi tries to dissuade her even further. But Ruth responds amazingly. Look at what Ruth says in verses 16 and 17. Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Naomi doesn't really have an answer to that. And so she relents. She says, all right, Ruth, have it your way. So Ruth goes with Naomi. Ruth chooses Naomi and Naomi's God over what is secure, over what is familiar. She leaves her people. She leaves the only home she's ever known to go with Naomi because she loves Naomi. She is concerned for Naomi. Naomi is not alone in her suffering. Ruth has thrown her hat in with Naomi. And Ruth has promised that only death will separate them. There really is something about not being alone in suffering, isn't there? Something about knowing you are not by yourself. Having someone with us profoundly changes the character of our suffering. Naomi has someone with her. Ruth is staying. That takes us to our third scene, which occurs in Bethlehem in verses 19 to 22. Verse 19 tells us that Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem and the town is stirred up. People probably had no idea what had happened to Naomi. They just knew that she had left 10 years ago, but here she comes walking back into town, probably looking much worse for the wear. And they say, is this Naomi? Is this her? What's happened to her? And Naomi says in verses 20 and 21, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me bitter because I left here full and I have returned 
empty. I've got to be honest, I'm encouraged by the way the Bible presents Naomi. I'm encouraged by that. Because it doesn't rub her nose in her sin, does it? It doesn't say, and Naomi got what was coming to her because she fled the discipline of the Lord to try to make things easier. It doesn't do that. It doesn't tell us that this is something she deserved. Because it doesn't tell us that Naomi is defined by her sin or by the sin of her family. The Bible presents Naomi gently with profound compassion. Naomi is not being punished by God. I think that's clear from this passage. She's not being punished by God, but she has experienced what we might call a bitter providence. And she's just open about that. I've lost everything, she says. Call me bitter. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Friends, the Bible invites us to be honest about our experiences. The Bible invites us to say, Lord, this is awful. This hurts I am sad. I don't see how this can be for my good, and I don't see how this can be for your glory. The the Bible just invites us to do that. It doesn't rebuke Naomi for saying, call me Mara. It invites us to be honest about our experience of pain in the world. Verse 22 tells us that Naomi returned. She brought Ruth with her, and then it notes... It was the beginning of the barley harvest. We're going to come back and pick up next week looking at the barley harvest uh, because that's going to be significant uh, for our story. But before we stop today, I just want to give us three hints that this passage has of the goodness to come. Three hints of what the gospel is teaching us here. Here's the first thing I think we see in Ruth 1, that the the gospel is not inviting us to a program of trying to manage the sin and brokenness of the world. The Bible is not inviting us to a program of trying to make things simply more bearable. What the gospel is doing is answering sin and its effects. The gospel doesn't make things better for us, the gospel undoes the things that make things difficult for us. And I think it's helpful for us to acknowledge that and remember it over and over again because we are constantly tempted to try to fix our own lives. We are constantly tempted to think we are just one move away from Moab, from finding relief. We are just one more raise away from finding relief. The next job will be the one that finally makes me feel significant. I'm finally going to have this breakthrough in my relationship and everything is going to be great. Fill in the blank. What is the thing you think will bring you relief? But what the gospel reminds us is that there is nothing this side of glory that will ultimately bring us relief. There is not a bloodless path to glory. The way to glory, 
The way to a world without pain always goes through the cross. Always goes through suffering. We are never promised control. Second thing we see in this passage. The book of Ruth is not the story of Naomi being punished for her sin. It is actually the story of God blessing his people through Naomi. And what this helps us see, what this helps us learn and be reminded of, is that God is always at work. And God wastes nothing. And what that means is the suffering and the hardship and the shattered expectations that you experience, that we all experience in this world, are not meaningless. Your suffering is not meaningless. And we are not called then to pretend that it's easy or that it's fun. In fact, we are called to just be encouraged in the fact that God is using even our suffering to accomplish his purposes. God is at work in and through the hard things we experience. And we know that's true from Ruth, but we know that's true especially because of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God himself suffers to accomplish his purposes. Here's the third thing that we see uh, here in the passage, and this is where we conclude this morning. Just like Naomi, we are not alone in our suffering. We are not alone when things get hard. We are never alone in our pain and our hardship. Jesus is with us always. In fact, his final words to his disciples as he is ascending into heaven is, Behold, I am with you always. And friends, during this Advent season, we are thinking about and longing about the coming of Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is always with us in our suffering, just like his great, 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 count like 25 more of those, great-grandmother was with Naomi. Ruth is the great-great-something of Jesus. But unlike Ruth, not even death can separate Jesus from us. Remember the New Testament reading we had this morning, which concluded, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor uh, rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is at work. Jesus is with us when it's hard. And Jesus undoes sin and death. It's good news. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your promises are true and that all of your promises are yes in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the story of Naomi and Ruth. 
And Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hardships, that you would be at work in our suffering. Lord, help us to trust that it's not meaningless and that you are even using those hard things to accomplish your purposes, even if we can't see or understand how you're doing that. But Lord, we thank you for Christ. And we pray now that as we come to your table, you would be at work, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose. Anchor us in the work of Christ on our behalf. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.